Hi, Blind Spotters listeners. I wanted to let you guys know that there was an issue with my microphone in this episode that we didn't know until after we had recorded, but it has been fixed and we'll be okay with all of the episodes moving forward. So please bear with us and I hope you enjoy the episode. Go, Knights, go. Oh, go, Knights, go. <laughs> Name like four people on the team, Zach. <laughs> you are not trying to mansplain hockey to me. That is I not just happening. absolutely am going to mansplain. <laughs> Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we are doing our second movie swap. I watched Little Miss Sunshine for the first time. And Amanda, what'd you watch for the first time? I watched A Place Beyond the Pines. It's kind of a fun turn from our first episode where we were doing pretty iconic movies, big movies. And today we're kind of bringing bringing the scale down a little bit. I would say that these are like big movies within like film Twitter, like film people really like these movies, but like, I'm not sure if like the general public has overwhelming amount of love for either of these movies. Like, obviously, like you said, they're the critical aspect to these movies, probably more favorable than their box office numbers and definitely their budget. But um, I think we kind of circled these movies one, because they kind of had that like family drama, like that theme that we wanted to tie these together, but also because we kind of met these movies at a younger time in our life where it was like before we were watching movies as I don't know art or critical thinking it was just these different kind of movies that we maybe we had watched yeah there's definitely like a little bit more like art to it but we were probably unaware as to like what it was we were just like this movie feels different and like that's probably all we could figure out kind of before we get started and do our little movie flip or, or coin flip thing. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, we just had probably our last nice weekend in Phoenix, uh, yeah. recording this like end of May. And I went on a walk today. That was nice. That was a little sweaty at the end. And I was like, oh God, oh, <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> how are you? What have you been up to? Uh, good. Amanda, there are so many sports on right now. I watched uh, so much hockey in the last three days. It's crazy. Like every day I'm just coming home and watching NBA playoffs and then the WNBA season is getting going, you know, mm-hmm. go aces. The NWSL and MLS seasons are happening. I got up the other day at 6 a.m. to watch F1 and then watch the last day of the Premier League. It's I, I'm stressing myself out with how much I'm trying to watch in to- on top of watching these movies. But mm-hmm. um, I did force myself to go on a hike uh, the other day after spending like eight hours on my couch so uh because like in arizona we had our last gasp of decent like keep the windows open kind of air and you also watched at least one part of a vegas golden knights game because we talked about it to be fair i've watched all but one game i love that you know what let's start a podcast where it's you watching every single fast and furious movie and we break it down scene by scene while i try to watch hockey Okay, I think we should talk about movies. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about movies. I'll flip the coin. Do you want to call it or do you want me to call it? You flip the coin and I'll call it. Okay, I'm gonna flip it right now. Call it heads. Heads. You get to pick. Oh. What are we talking about? We're talking Little Miss Sunshine or uh, Place Beyond the Pines? Usually, I want to start with my movie that I assign to you because 
it's the movie I like to talk about the most, obviously. <laughs> um, but I really liked both of these movies. So let's start with The Place Beyond the Pines, and then we can end with Little Miss Sunshine. All right, let's do it. Amanda, if you ride like lightning, you're going to crash like thunder. Yeah, that's that's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> uh, so you watched The Place Beyond the Pines for the first time. Um, let's did. do a quick uh, little plot summary. Yeah, so kind of a lot happened in this movie, so I'll try to make it as quick as possible. Luke Lanton is played by Ryan Gosling. He's a stunt motorcycle rider whose ex comes to visit him while he's in town for the carnival. This is Eva Mendez's character. She says that they can't get back together because she's got a boyfriend, which is uh, Mahershala Ali. But he goes to her house, tries to woo her, and he ends up meeting his son. Uh, he didn't know he had a son. They hang out more and they're like low key falling in love again. And he really wants to provide for him. So after meeting Robin, uh, which is Ben Mendelssohn's character, he starts robbing banks and then getting away on his motorcycle. Um, and he wants to up the stakes. He wants to do two in one day. Robin says like, you're on your own. You're crazy. This is too much. And then in order to deter him from doing it, Robin cuts up his motorcycle And obviously, this does not go over well. Um, Then he goes to, uh, he like goes to the robbery where he wants to up the ante. He's sloppy and he ends up getting chased. Um, After being pursued through the house where he's hiding um, on this chase, he tells Roe, which is Eva Eva Mendez's character, not to tell Jason, their son, about him. And he is shot. Um, And then he falls out of a window and dies. The movie then at this moment switches to Bradley Cooper's point of view, who is the officer that shot him. Uh, He plays Avery Cross. He's wielded as a hero for shooting this criminal and stays really quiet about having shot first um, and says like, oh, it's self-defense. He feels really guilty about it, but his cop buddies, including Ray Liotta, are full steam ahead. They really want him to like be this hero. Uh, they pick him up, they do a, a fake search of Rose's house so that they can get the money that Luke would have stolen, and they give it to Avery. He feels really guilty about this. He goes to the chief, and the chief is like, what do you want me to do about this? This is how it is. So he essentially blackmails his way into being the assistant district attorney, um, and but now is like in fear for his life um, for turning on his crazy cop friends, and they take him to... Um, the place beyond the pines and they threaten to kill him, but he gets away. So then 15 years later, we see Avery and his son all grown up. Um, they go into school with uh, Luke's son, Jason also. So Jason never got to know his dad. He starts, um, it's really starts eating at him until Mahershala Ali gives him Luke's first name. Then he starts reading all about his dad, find out his dad was shot at a party that he didn't really want to go to, um, that he stole drugs for Avery Cross's son, who was his friend. Um, he realized that Avery Cross is this guy's dad. He get into a big fight, starts getting really dangerous. You can definitely tell like, Oh, he's like turning into his dad, all this kind of stuff. Eventually he kidnaps Avery Cross, drives him out back to the same place beyond the pines, uh, threatening to kill him. But Cross completely breaks down because of all of the guilt he's been harboring. And the movie ends with Jason buying his own motorcycle and driving away. So I'm sure that was like 11 minutes long, but that's <laughs> what the movie was about. I know we joked after you watched A Few Good Men for the first time that it was a lot of movie. This is debatably even more movie 
Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it. Well, there's a lot that goes on. The pacing is kind of crazy, but I think you did a good job of kind of capturing this uh, three-part quote-unquote epic. So, you know, obviously I wanted you to watch this movie because um, I watched it, I think, for the first time a little bit after my senior year of high school. It was one of those Tumblr gift sets, like really beautiful shots and Ryan Gosling bleached out hair in the woods really just fit the uh aesthetic of my tumblr timeline and it was kind of fun in revisiting it after that long but this isn't about me watching it it's about you so you know your first watch impressions what were the things that kind of you know struck you as you're watching this movie for the first time yeah so obviously like you just said the movie is so beautiful there were so many scenes where i was really just taken aback by how nice everything was even though there's like horrible things that are happening throughout the movie like the whole movie feels very you feel like you're like in a watercolor almost (laughs) the whole time it's really pretty what really reinforced was that I truly had no idea what this movie was about (laughs) like I didn't know Bradley Cooper was in it at all which was like a great surprise obviously and it's that scene where Bradley Cooper looks over the the windowsill at Um, Ryan Gosling like dead on the ground and it looks back up at him and I'm like oh oh Bradley Cooper (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah it was just like so shocking and I yeah truly like didn't know about that entire section of the movie I didn't know anything about the like really about the sons being a big part of it um Mm -hmm. which was kind of great like it's hard to find a movie that is almost 10 years old that I that you don't know anything about, really. Yeah, this is kind of a movie that there's not a lot of conversation about the place beyond the pines in 2021, it feels like. Part of that is because this is probably not Derek C. France's uh, best movie. Like He's the writer-director of Blue Valentine. He had Sound of Metal this year. But rewatching it, it is objectively a beautiful movie like you're in the woods and maybe this is two desert kids talking about like wow luscious forest um but man i there's few things i love more than that opening shot i'm a i'm a sucker for like a behind the character tracking shot like i think of it like you know the copacabana shot in goodfellas or um in judas and the black messiah this year right when um daniel kaluuya as fred hampton um, before he makes a speech about being free and all that stuff. I, I just mm-hmm. love a tracking shot. And you're just going through this carnival and there's all those like neon colors and it's mm-hmm. very electric. And then you can get into all the parallels of of the fathers and sons and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously I knew that, okay, when I described it to somebody actually who asked me what movie we were watching next, I was like, oh, I'm watching The Place Beyond the Pines. And they're like, I don't know that one. I was like, it's the one where blonde Ryan Gosling with tattoos drives a motorcycle. And they're like, what is it about? And I was like, motorcycles? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> we're like, if someone asked, like, what was, you know, what is a few good men about? Like, I probably could have come up with, like, some plot points based on, like, the very few things I knew. And I didn't know, like, a whole lot about that movie either. But, yeah, I really knew nothing about this one. Yeah, the most dismissive way I think you could sum up this movie is just being like sons dealing with the sins of the fathers, like if you wanted to be super pretentious about it. But it's also kind of just that movie. It also is fun in terms of the Ryan Gosling in the early 2010s deciding to just not have any emotion and drive different vehicles. Mm -hmm. Like This is a little bit after Drive. I will say I liked this movie more than I liked Drive, which was a movie I watched last year for the first time. 
Yeah, I've I've rewatched both recently just to get ready for this podcast because it this kind of feels like the completion of like Ryan Gosling's transformation into what his serious version of himself is going to be. He's mm-hmm. this blank slate, almost kind of like just wooden, but not like he does a lot of small stuff in this movie that I think shows he's a human like the the ice cream scene when he's like laughing at the baby is like so real there is parts of this where you can be like oh that's right ryan gosling can be charming like he can be the 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 meme of himself at the same time as being this uh blank wooden type of slate where that he pulled out like he pulls out every so often like he did it again in first man yeah no, he's so charming. Was there anything else like, like as you're watching this for the first time? Because it's, it's coming at you with a lot. Like as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh my god, I forgot Mahershala Ali was in this movie. Well, I paid obviously like close attention to the movie because it was my first time seeing it. So aside from, I knew Bradley Cooper was in it, but I didn't really like care that much. I guess because by the time he shows up, like you're so invested in all of the other characters, I wasn't thinking the whole time like okay, this is great, but like, when is Bradley Cooper showing up? I'd kind of forgotten he was in the beginning of the movie. But all of the other characters, like, or all of the other, like, big-named actors, I guess, more or less show up right away. Um, So I wasn't, like, that distracted by it, which was nice. The other thing I thought a lot about um, after the movie was over, which was also what I would say, like, stood out to me, was the actor who played Jason, uh, the son. Yeah, yeah. Um, his name is Dane DeHaan. I'm sorry to cut you off. I've just, since this movie, I've had so much Dane DeHaan stock that has tanked like crypto has at the end of May. Yeah, I thought he, I mean, it's really difficult to then watch Ryan Gosling's performance, which I think this is one of his best performances. And this is like the type of performance I really like from him. And then to be... Dane DeHaan and to be a kid and be like, okay, now emulate that. <laughs> Best of luck to you, but don't mm-hmm. make it so obvious that you're like a characterization of the character itself. Um, and I think he really did a good job of that. Like things were very understated, yet emotional. Like when he asked, like, tell me about my dad, it wasn't like, you know, Tony Collette in Hereditary, where she like, s- screams at the kid at the <laughs> dinner table, like he easily could have been this very over the top, like you've never told me about my father, and like thing that we see all the time in movies like this. And it was very just like uh, past the potatoes. And also, are you ever going to tell me something about my father? No, mm-hmm. okay. And I think that that is a difficult thing to do as any age of an actor. Um, but especially as like a teen. So he also was in Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014, just a Yikes. little bit later. And then um, he was in 000. Like I said, he I've had so much Dane DeHaan stock. Like, because he's in Chronicle, I think a little bit before this, but he he's in that movie with Michael B. Jordan. And he was the guy who I was thinking of after that movie. Um, and, and then it kind of just, it kind of goes off the rails once he becomes the Green Goblin. Yeah, I would love to see what happens with him next. I'm I don't think that we are completely done. Um, but I I think it'll be interesting to find out kind of what's going on. I was really hopeful after this movie because like you said, he has to do a lot, especially in that last chapter of the movie where it's kind of just like the weight of Ryan Gosling. Because Ryan Gosling dies like forty five minutes into this movie. Yeah. And then shocking and then he- to say the least, if you didn't know. 
yes, which is the same as when I first watched it. I'm like, wait, what? what? <laughs> I I have to not care. What? He's the main uh, character. <laughs> yeah, a lot of movie left. <laughs> there's so much movie. And he has to kind of carry that. Like you said, the I'm... Uh, I've been thinking about who my dad is, but I I don't get to know because my mom refuses to tell me. And then it finally comes to a head and he kind of does balance all of that. It was subtle, but exactly the way that that person in real life would have acted because Mm -hmm. that's how his dad acted. And like, that's what, those are the connections we're supposed to be drawing. But I thought the three sections were incredibly powerful. It Mm. sounds very corny and it sounds like something you would need like an obvious transition between and maybe, I mean, there's like the 15 years later, but in that 15 years later, like we spend time with Avery cross first for like a good chunk of time. So you almost think that like, all right, we're just back with this same character, but we're like 15 years later finding out maybe how it affected him. But like, it's not really about him at all. It's about the sons. Um, I thought that was really exceptionally well done and something i would love to see in more films Rewatching this movie i was reminded of of waves because it has that similar like point of view shift and it's really hard to i was gonna save this but i kind of want to just ask you it right now i was thinking about whether this movie might work better if we don't get the whole avery cross chapter in the middle and it just becomes like we just go from ryan gosling dying to like 15 years later and you know we're with the kids because it felt like the avery cross part of the movie was scattered and like the movie tried to lump in like you know cops are corrupt but also like bradley cooper has this weird hero complex now on top of how he's gonna try to become a politician now it was weird and it stayed weird when i rewatched it i don't know if you kind of felt the same at all so i don't think that it is the section that's off to me i think that bradley cooper was too jockish we needed like another Mm. subtle actor because it feels very just like whoa now we're in like a whole different style of world and like this world is very bright and there's like a lot Mm -hmm. of like bubbliness and there's like a lot of like big conversations and power and control and so when i had texted you like i would have loved to see like a casey affleck in that character Mm -hmm. someone who is a lot more subtle that you know when they have the conversation with the chief where it's like come on like this is i'm trying to do the right thing instead of like what do you mean you're not gonna do anything like that didn't that tone didn't match the rest of the movie and i would have liked to see like a different actor in there because i think one of the most powerful parts of the movie is the eventual breakdown at the very end when you you see that he has benefited off of this heroicism that was brought upon him by being like an ADA and he has like a nice house and his kid goes to a good school and like, and all these things. Uh, But he's harboring all of that guilt, all of those years. And when he's like finally faced with Jason and even tells his kid, like you can talk to anybody you'd like, but don't mess with that kid, like leave Jason alone. And he doesn't tell him why, you know, without that, you don't get the moment where Jason finds the photo earlier in the movie which is like a very famous scene so i think that you sort of do need that character to balance it out a little bit but i would have liked maybe a different actor would play it very differently though i would say i think this is one of the best bradley cooper roles um 
I don't mind Bradley Cooper. I'm very Bradley Cooper neutral. I, I mean, obviously, I like uh, Silver Lightning's playbook, which you also really love. But other than that, he like doesn't really play a lot of characters I connect with, or like not that I connect with this character in that movie. But you know what I'm saying. I think that's a good point. Like, well, we were very complimentary of Ryan Gosling's like subtle, understated performance and stuff. I just when the scene where Bradley Cooper as Avery Cross is talking to the therapist and it holds on his face and it's very blank like he doesn't do anything it's almost like he's trying to do the understated thing but he doesn't know how to like twitch his face muscles the little moves that kind of add more flavor to it so it did come across blank in a bad way i don't i don't think you can take it out because of actually like another section that i was gonna say really stood out to me was that obviously the movie is about like fathers and sons and the legacy you leave behind and like your parents will screw you up. It's just how it happens. The sins of the yeah, father. Yeah, exactly. Like all that kind of stuff. But something that really stuck with me is that like it also is really much, really about classism as well. And mm-hmm. I noticed this mostly when like Jason has to jump the counter to steal the drugs to go to the rich kid's house party. Like mm. he is continuing this like legacy of his father because he is another you know kid who needs to steal things in order to like make it or like you know his dad was robbing banks in order to provide for his son and like he is he sees no issues with stealing and he has a little bit of a record and like all this stuff and while Avery Cross's son like his dad gets him out of jail that or gets him out of like being um arrested that first time and then the whole movie ends with like him on stage as his dad wins like a new like election like it is just the continuation of like the people in upper class continue to be an upper class no matter what and oftentimes Mm -hmm. because of things like systemic issues and classism within the police force the lower class stay lower class and like i thought that that was another really good note in there is that like not only are they like representative of their fathers but like it was also like inevitable because of how different they were to begin with i guess what my thing is like the movie in avery cross's section bit off so much to try to chew or tries to talk about you know police corruption and it tries to bite off you know how that helps political power and campaigns Mm -hmm. and you know guilt of survival and then that tying that in into um the fathers and sons of it all um so i also wanted to mention that something that really worked for me that i didn't really notice until about halfway through the movie is that there's a multitude of different camera works in here there's the um you know just like you said like the steady cam shot Mm -hmm. following along uh luke in the very beginning then there's, you know, just general normal like camera work that you see throughout the whole film. And then there's like the handy cam. And um, it's so natural throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing that I didn't notice until like maybe an hour and a half in. I was like, oh, there's all these different camera like styles that are working really well together. Yeah, it does well to either add to or just really truthfully tell the emotions or tensions of the story as it's happening. Uh, my favorite instance of this is um, when Ryan Gosling's riding his bike through the woods and he's just popping wheelies or whatever. And then he kind of notices an ATV and they're and, and it's really shaky and discombobulating and, and it's kind of cross cut really fast. 
I read somebody comparing it to almost like lone wolves noticing each other in the woods and kind of feeling each other out. And then there's that scene where, you know, Ben Mendelsohn gets to his car and finally like breaks the ice and is like, hey, you ride that bike well. And it's kind of this two isolated people kind of at least finding someone that maybe they can be on the same page with. I really like that sequence. It's one of the sequences like the movie hits some high frequencies where it's like, man, this movie rules. Um, it doesn't always hold it there, but that's one of those things where that and like the overhead shots where, mm-hmm. you know, he's either riding his bike or riding his motorcycle um, through the woods. That's a, that's a really good observation. So, you know, since watching the movie, what's kind of stuck with you the most? What, what have you thought about the most since watching it? I read somewhere that uh, Greta Gerwig was originally asked to be Avery Cross's wife. That would have just been a fun Whoa. little, like, showing in the middle of like, oh. I'm so glad she Greta. No, I, it wouldn't have matched any of the, the, like, tone at all. But it would have been fun in 2021 to be watching it and be like, oh, hi, Greta. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm so glad because I want Greta I want so much more for Greta than being like this dismissed wife character because God, this movie does not care about the women. No, no, no. This this is not about mothers and daughters. (laughs) This is about fathers and sons. (laughs) Um, something else I've thought about is that I'd love to see C in France and Gosling do another movie together or maybe even Mm -hmm. um like a mini series. He did that mini series with um Mark Ruffalo. As I mentioned before, I really like these roles from Gosling. Um, I think that had <laughs> had David Fincher not very purposefully fit Gone Girl to reflect Ben Affleck's life, he could have <laughs> been like an, another good Nick. I think like yeah. that would have been good. But like you can't pass up the opportunity to put Ben's current life on screen. <laughs> yeah. So but I, I like those sorts of roles for him and I would love to see them uh, do something together again. Yeah. And I like how Gosling kind of has repeated with directors before. Like the first one that comes to mind, obviously is recently with um, Damien Chazelle doing first man in La La Land. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be interested to see him and C and France get back together, but uh, C and France obviously coming off of sound of metal. I thought he pulled a really good performance out of Riz Ahmed. And obviously Riz Ahmed has this performance in him and he has shown parts of that. But Riz Ahmed kind of holds that movie together because, again, I think Cian France has a pacing problem in his movies. Because um, I watched Blue Valentine and it's cutting between two parts of a relationship. That movie will fuck you up, man. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a fun movie to watch. Um, but... You know, that one kind of drags in sections as he tries to bounce back and forth. I thought this movie could have either been like three hours, 15 minutes or like cut the Avery Cross section out and it's hour 50. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the performances he gets out of his leads, Derek St. France is a frustrating filmmaker Like in the, <laughs> the few movies I've seen because I'm like, these are all beautiful and cool and there's so much to say in these movies and he and he almost gets there i just don't agree <laughs> <laughs> but please like tell me what i'm not seeing in the right way because i would love to enjoy these movies more i think it's a feeling like that that's like the most amanda sentence i possibly <laughs> could have created but like i have a note in here about why i like the soundtrack so much which is like the score is a very big part of the movie gotta do put my little music queen crown on and talk about how Mm -hmm. excellent the music in this is i think that the soundtrack gives the movie the scene france texture and Mm. like i think that there is like 
something about all three of the movies we just talked about that are both like gritty and rough, but very like comforting. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that it's like the bad boy you shouldn't trust, but you uh-huh. do. And you want him to take care of your baby, even though Mahershal Ali's your boyfriend. And like, oh, like, <laughs> You know that he is deaf and your dad is rich and you could go back to France, but you love him. And like, it, uh, there is like a, you're not supposed to like it, but you can't, you want to live in that world. There's also like a, a melancholiness about all three of mm. those movies that I find mm-hmm. to be really beautiful. I just think that they're very raw without being like, here is a movie that will make you cry and re-examine your life. Are you ready? <laughs> like sometimes movies can be like that. One of your favorites, Noah Baumbach, I feel like there is like a little warning at the beginning of every <laughs> one of his movies where it's like, I am here to make you feel things. Are you prepared? <laughs> and I think that like, this is like, I mean, subtle is the word of the movie. Like this is a lot more like a, of a subtle version of it that I really yeah. connected to. That's fair. And and I also want to know, like, I like Noah Baumbach movies. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> like, yeah, this is a pro Noah Baumbach uh, podcast. Absolutely. But, um, no, that's a fair point. And, and, uh, and, and it's well taken that like, yeah, there is like, it's a tough, his movies are tough, but there is that tinge of optimism, right? Like, you know, you think of Sound of Metal at the end of that movie is really beautiful. And even in this movie, it's like, you know, has jason riding off on a motorcycle to you know who knows but he's on his own adventure now and um, wolves by bonnie Vare is playing my, which is yeah li- inarguably in the top three best bonnie Vare songs it's because of this movie that that's my favorite bonnie Vare song um which might be the most tumblr ass thing i ever say it's honestly possibly one of it's probably my favorite as well and i felt that way before i saw this movie which made me like when it started playing i was like oh Oh, god my frustration comes from seeing so many of the like there are so many really great parts of every movie and then there's some parts that are like okay we get it this movie is going to be about the collision course between these sons like and and bradley cooper holding the weight of that baby who has grown into this teenager um and it becomes a little obvious but i think it's just because i know I, i feel like there's an a plus 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 movie in Derek City in France. I don't think we're done. Yeah, we're not. We're not done at all. But I'm just, I, I want it to happen. Okay, so obviously part of this is uncovering blind spots. And, you know, once you watch movies, we both like to kind of deep dive because we have journalism degrees. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, what are some of the first things you looked up about this movie? I wanted to know, like, where they filmed it. And they filmed mm-hmm. it in upstate New York. And uh, this note I thought was really interesting in here that it said in my research that. Uh, everything went pretty smoothly until Hurricane Irene happened and it like completely destroyed the equipment trucks and the crew had to take a canoe out to the truck and rescue all of the film footage that was left behind and then just like started continuing filming the next day and I was like oh that's like fun that's like a crazy story that's a fun fact that is wild yeah no thanks um, and then the other two things I wanted to know was, uh, were Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez dating at the time of this movie? They were not. They got together after this movie came out. Yeah. Can we then... talk about Eva Mendez really quick? Yes. So this is like the second to last movie that she appears in. She hasn't appeared in a movie since 2014, but she's really good in this movie, I thought. Like, she has to play this kind of, like, slightly overworked, like, but still kind of in love with, with Luke 
she gets sidelined really early in the movie and she just has to be the worried mother who cries really quickly. But I yeah. thought she did it really well. Like the the little that she gets, she's I thought she was really good. She matches his acting through all yeah. their scenes together. And that because of how much we've praised Ryan Gosling in this movie, that would be a that's a really tall order to fill. And I felt like her performance was equally as like rooted in reality. I just thought that was of note. Like I had to give her her flowers. Like she was pretty good in this movie. What else did you kind of look up about it? Uh, the last thing I looked up was, did Ryan Gosling know how to ride a motorcycle? Uh, Cause he was mm. really good at it. Or at least his stunt double was really good at it. Um, <laughs> and he, while he did have a stunt double for some of the scenes, uh, he did learn how to ride a motorcycle oh. for this film. And uh, the guy who like taught the actors on um batman in that motorcycle chase scene oh um, like the dark knight yeah the dark knight like that same like motorcycle acting teacher taught ryan gosling in this movie i thought that was fun there's an alternate world where ryan gosling is batman like now instead of robert pattinson um he'd probably be a good one but that's fun and then i also looked up like if ryan gosling in that makeup and that bike want to come to my house and uh the answer was no oh it's unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> this this might be the most attractive ryan gosling has been give or take you know so it really depends on like your taste in men because i also think that the the argument is to be had of uh crazy stupid love yeah, but that is fair. like a very different type of man <laughs> like if you yes. like a clean cut sort of like meet the Mm -hmm. parents like kind of guy like that you're probably more attracted to that version of ryan gosling who is arguably also attractive Mm -hmm. but i am not and so (laughs) i would agree that this is probably the hottest he's ever been it's super fair i have one more question for you before you know i kind of ask your opinion of this movie um what do you think of emery cohen he plays aj he plays bradley cooper's son in this movie his character is a bully and his uh the way he talks is a choice i would say before we replace bradley cooper with casey affleck get literally anybody to replace that actor uh he was too young at the time but a good lucas hedges could have been in that role um he was way too young in 2012 to play to play this role but like i felt like he was the only one where i was like you are acting yeah and everybody else felt like they were just that person so I can't tell if, you know, it's his choices or the part. Because, like, obviously this AJ is not a likable character, right? He's a bully. He's singling out Jason. He's yeah. a spoiled brat. I guess the credit I'll give the actor is that it's a consistent performance. Like, he never he's – he's not going, He's like, acting bad through the whole thing. No, I don't, I don't even think it's he's acting bad. No, I So understand. I don't think he's acting super bad. But I, I just think he's – Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, ah, I really don't like this kid. But I don't know if it's the actor or the character. Lastly, Amanda, what do you think of the movie? Would you watch it again? I really liked it. I would watch it again. Yeah. Um, I would watch it sooner than I would watch um, A Few Good Men. Oh, interesting. Okay. It felt like a lot less homework. Um, mm. Maybe it probably has one sixteenth the amount of words in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... I, I mean, both were obviously really good, but uh, yeah, this definitely falls right in line with a lot of the movies that I like, and yeah. I am glad that's no longer in my blind spot. Thanks, bud. 
I'm glad you enjoyed the movie and I'm glad that it's no longer in your blind spot. So with that, we're going to uh, flip the script and take a break and then come back, talk about Little Miss Sunshine. This episode of Blind Spotters podcast is not at all sponsored by Crescent Ballroom, either their burritos or their concerts. They have some of the best burritos in Arizona. You can go. I usually get the bean and cheese burrito at chicken. That is the that's the key. And concerts are coming back. Crescent Ballroom has some of the best concerts. It's a great venue. So please support your local venues and your local restaurants. All right, Zach. So let's talk about the movie I assigned to you, one of my favorite movies, Little Miss Sunshine. Tell me, as the first-time viewer, sort of what this movie is about. So we start by meeting Frank Ginsburg, played by Steve Carell. He is picked up by his sister, Cheryl Hoover, who is played by Tony Collette, the matriarch of the Hoover family. Um, She picks Frank up to go live with them because Frank recently attempted suicide. So we get to the home, and we meet the rest of the Hoover family. Richard Hoover is the father, played by Greg Kinnear is wants to be this motivational speaker he has his nine steps to success um we have Dwayne hoover played by paul freaking dano he's the rebellious teen and he's taking a vow of silence until he becomes like a fighter pilot and then olive hoover played by abigail breslin is the youngest daughter and competes in beauty pageants and then also frank's dad played by alan arkin um basically they find out that um it's a super dysfunctional family and they and they find out that Olive qualifies for the Little Miss Sunshine pageant, and they need to get her from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Redondo Beach in about two days. And because, you know, Steve Carell and Paul Dano can't be left alone um, and they don't have a lot of money, they all pile into this yellow Volkswagen van. And basically from there, the hijinks ensue. Um, The car breaks down and they eventually have to like start to get the car started. They have to push it to like fourth gear or something and then all jump in. Um... The horn starts going off randomly. Along the way, Edwin dies. Edwin is the grandfather, dies from a drug overdose, and the family smuggles his body back into the car so they can make it to the pageant, which is bonkers. And then from there, you kind of see they get to the pageant and you kind of see how wild pageant culture is. But Olive is there and she does her thing with no shame because she's just pure as hell. And then during the talent section, when she's doing uh, a dance to Super Freak, um, and the crowd wants to kick them off the stage the whole family gets up on there and they kind of just like unite as these like lovable losers and they kind of realize that like even though life has kind of kicked them down they all kind of have each other and at movie's end they proudly drive off and through a barrier uh as dysfunctional as ever i feel like i left a lot out amanda but i think think the most important thing that you i think there's like two important scenes you left out but that's like the general idea of the movie yeah, we're going to touch on probably those scenes um, throughout this. So why did you tell me to watch this movie? I love this movie. This is a movie I also watched because of Tumblr, another theme of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, it is about nothing and everything at the same time. Like I, mm-hmm. And I, like not much happens in the movie, but also there's like nine amazing scenes. And it is really good. And it just is about like, a family that's not that special just going and like doing the thing so that the youngest person of the family doesn't realize that the family's not special 
and yeah. they go on this trip and it, it's really beautiful. Um, something I noted in my rewatch was I had no idea how much of this movie took place in Arizona. So yeah. I knew I knew they had to come from New Mexico to California. Obviously, I knew there were scenes that were in Arizona, but I didn't realize like so much of the plot takes place in Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the scene where they're driving under the um, highways that are overlapped. Um, that is like one exit away from my childhood home. And <laughs> when I watched it this past time, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I know where that is. <laughs> and that was really exciting. So I'm sure like young me like stored that in the memory bank. Well, um, well, yeah, it must have also left beautiful. an impression because. Uh, if people don't know, Amanda at one point had a yellow Volkswagen bug of her own. Shout out to Lula. Yes, I did have a yellow Volkswagen of my own and I did want a van. And I don't know if it was because of this movie, but I did want a van originally. Um, and we decided that it would take one summer of it overheating and me knowing nothing about cars for it to be not a good <laughs> use of our money. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So I wanted to ask, what were some of your first impressions watching, you know, probably one of my favorite movies? Admittedly, I don't do great with like the cringy, like I have secondhand embarrassment when I watch movies. So anytime people like either start singing or randomly dancing or like have a failed courtship with someone i'm i go into the surrender cobra hands on the head like oh no and that was definitely what i was doing during that last dance scene um but even so it was it was enjoyable it's like this bittersweet solemn happy sad cringe comedy that the more i've thought about it it sets the archetypes and it's like all right we're gonna play now like all right we're on a road trip and all these archetypes are going to come to a head and the rebellious teen's going to be annoyed with the type a father and the overworked mom is going to be trying to keep the family together while little olive is pure as hell and it's just even before i had seen this movie it, in my head it was like the archetypal sundance darling type yeah, of movie like 100%. it was even though i kind of didn't realize what those terms meant yeah i mean that's exactly right i think that um it's a very fun it's a very funny dichotomy because like there's so much tension and then the moments of like comedic like relief when you like exhale all of that tension are the moments where you're like no 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 <laughs> no stop and like the fact that they're like even the funny moments are gonna make you uncomfortable yeah is just like how this movie is and and i always think about the, the scene that I think I hold my breath through every single time mm -hmm. I watch it is when uh, Steve Carell's ex-boyfriend finds him oh, in, God. The, in the gas station. And every single time it takes me by surprise because I'm like, oh, like things are getting happy. And I was like, oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> like, every time. <laughs> the scene that I was like almost most heartbroken by is when. Uh, Paul Dano's character realizes he's colorblind and can't become a pilot. And like when it's happening, I was like, oh, shit. That is probably like well accepted as like one of the saddest scenes of the 2000s. Like I had mm. posted um, on Twitter, I was like, without spoiling it, because I have a friend who's going to watch it for the first time, like Paul freaking Dano in this movie, so good. <laughs> and uh, I had like three or four people responding like I cry every time and like that is one of the most like ingrained performances in my head of just like that is what agony <laughs> looks uh -huh. and feels like like that is a panic attack 
And then when mm-hmm. he like bursts out of the car and runs down the thing and just screams, I'm like, being 16 is fucking awful. <laughs> like, like that is what it's like to be like the one thing I had in this world. I can't have anymore. Yeah. It, it so really good. is. His character is really just adolescence wrapped up because, you know, he, he has taken this vow of silence until he becomes a pilot. But even then, you can say, like, when you're a teenager, you can have all these thoughts or something, but you kind of don't know how to express it. Like, you also feel like you don't have a voice that anybody wants to hear or is heard anyway. That seems so affecting. And, and the part that got me was when when Olive goes to comfort yeah. him and the parents kind of let it happen. And she's the one that kind of brings it. And not because, like, I'm the youngest in, in a family of uh, six siblings. And my family loves each other. And, like, we're not anything like <laughs> the Hoover family. But in a big family, you just see the way that the p- older people in the family will utilize, like, the kids in the family to, like, check on someone or, like, come bring them back. Or because they're so pure, you can't say, no, get out of here. It, it, it kind of brings them back to earth. And I thought that was the part that's kind of stuck with me. And I, I think another on the opposite end of that exact same scene is just the look on Steve Carell's face when he figures it out. Like right before he says, I think you're colorblind mm-hmm. is when he's like, I have to ruin this guy's life. It's like the calm, the storm and the calm, like so packaged mm-hmm. together in like, maybe three minutes like it's so explosive but then like everything in your life you just like gotta get back on the van like yeah yeah like we're here for all of like keep going yeah and the the other part that kind of made this movie the hardest to watch like in parts was greg kinnear's character sucks like i know that's the point of him so (laughs) So I recently watched The Mitchells vs. the Machines, which is the animated movie produced by Lord and Miller on Netflix. And that's also a road trip movie with an insufferable dad that doesn't understand how to communicate to his family at all and is so caught up in his own BS that it, he creates the tension he's so trying to solve. And the scene I think of the most is the freaking scene in, in the diner when they're like talking about like Olive wants to eat some ice cream, but then Greg Kinnear basically like body shames her into not wanting ice cream and that's just so heartbreaking like let the eight-year-old kid enjoy ice cream and the whole family understands that except for greg kinnear because he's so caught up in these like nine steps to success and winning and achieving success in the movie i think that like every character in the movie accepts their loserdom and then just like moves Mm -hmm. on with their lives Mm -hmm. where like he is the only character that is so is fighting it so hard that Mm -hmm. he almost is the biggest loser of them all because he can't accept but it's because he can't just like accept that that's how he is and then moves on with his life Mm -hmm. all the rest of them are like yeah this sucks but like whatever and then they just like continue on and like he is so adamant about being a winner that it just like emphasizes how much of a loser he is. He is the biggest loser because he he almost basically loses his family because he's so determined to succeed in this way that he sees fit. And obviously, it's it's Greg Kinnear, so like you want him to be charming and, and likable, e- even when he plays these characters that are like like I think of You've Got Mail, and he's really caught up in his in all his writing. But like it's the most amicable breakup in any rom com ever between mm-hmm. him and Meg Ryan. 
or I really love the movie Stuck in Love and I really love Greg Kinnear in the movie Stuck in Love. And so he's so unlikable in this movie and it was so difficult to like swallow, but but it comes around and, and, and that's part of the movie too. All right. So what else stood out to you when you watched this for the first time? Oh my God, the cast. I didn't really know anybody who was in this movie except for Abigail Breslin and Steve Carell. Yeah. The first, you know, 15 minutes as you're meeting everybody, I'm just like, oh my God, you're in here? Like what? Like like Tony Collette, uh, who is just every mom ever <laughs> and just An different variations. Person. Just different variations of that. And I didn't know Greg Kinnear was in it. And, you know, um, and Paul Dano, like I, Paul Dano in my head is Eli from There Will Be Blood, which is such a different character than this. And to me, like he is this character. <laughs> this is the character I know him for. Like the actors in this movie are just allowed to cook because, you know, like you said, there's not a lot that technically happens in this movie, but there's a lot of just situations and then you kind of just see them playing off of each other. And I think I read that there was a lot of ad-libbing in this movie. That and, makes sense. And like the amount of skill to kind of stay within their types and like all have their different kinds of cringy, sad humor um, was just so effective. It's so good. And I think that like, I think it was a really important role for um, Steve Carell in his like more serious mm, stuff. Mm -hmm. I think this like is a really good like stamp in the like Steve Carell is a serious actor passport. And mm -hmm. I think it's funny to like think about like when this movie came out, despite all of these people being in it and all really excellent performances, like Abigail Breslin was the takeaway of this movie. Yeah. And like the scene <laughs> when she asks her grandpa if she's pretty just mm -hmm. just crushes me every time and like when she asked the um when she asked miss california if she eats ice cream like it's so oh, good yeah. and she is so unabashed when she goes mm -hmm. on stage and i think that that is like a childhood purity that everybody over the age of 11 is still chasing and yeah. <laughs> will never get and like for her to be a young girl playing a young girl playing this star, like, you know what I mean? Like there's so mm -hmm. many layers of performance that go into it and she's just like having the time of her life. Yeah. And, and like very rightly, she gets nominated for best supporting actress in this movie. She's like eight years old. It's when she so makes this good. Movie. <laughs> it's so good. And like, I so saw, I read this really, really beautiful uh, essay on brightwalldarkroom.com, which is like a movie magazine website. And it's called Dear Olive. And it, basically the premise of it is just like uh, the writer writes in first person from Olive's perspective. Aww. And she, there's a part in it where she talks about when she's on the stage dancing and she sees everybody's faces kind of tis tisking her. And like she kind of it, it's kind of the first time that the world kind of reveals itself to her. Because mm -hmm. even in the in the movie, whenever they're like shouting at each other, she has her headphones on like. Yeah. And, and a funny part of that is like apparently she really had music going on so she wouldn't hear all the swearing that's awesome <laughs> yeah so in that moment in the movie like that's when that she's like realizing how cynical the world is and like how yeah. it can kind of kill your dreams a little bit and then you know her family joins her and then that's when she realizes okay like these are my people yeah no matter like what like you're always gonna have your like support system no matter yeah like, family or not but yeah yeah and and you know who knows how many choices Abigail Breslin is making as an actor at eight years old, but she does all these right things that kind of like show you that she knows that they're all driving her to this pageant and she wants to be good for them, mainly because of the pressure from Greg Kinnear, but also because she wants to do right by 
all the training she's done with her grandpa mm-hmm. to dance to Super Freak. It's um, so funny. She and, does like a striptease. It's yeah. so good. It's just like, oh no. And like <laughs> that role can go wrong like eight out of ten times, right? Like it, it's kind of like we saw Minari, um, little kid in that movie it has to shoulder a lot of the weight of like this emotion this pulse of the movie incredible what else stood out to you so i thought this movie was kind of be more whimsical it is pretty cynical right like Mm -hmm. it is about all these people whose dreams are either dead dying or have yet to be touched but you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and it doesn't look good the movie ends and there's not a lot of hope for any of them like the grandpa's dead the dad doesn't have a book deal the mom's still kind of overworked they don't have a lot of money paul dano can't become a pilot but they found each other finally like these people who live with each other have finally been like oh you know how we get through this world this really crappy tough world is each other like that's what family's about right Mm -hmm. whether it's the family you have or the family you choose and by the end of this movie they have chosen each other and they're like you know what i really can't stand you but damn it you're my people Mm -hmm. i was actually like thinking about um paul dano's performance after he starts speaking um when he like Mm -hmm. erupts he comments he like screams in tony collette's face about like how much he hates them and how much Mm -hmm. he hates her and that is obvious throughout the whole movie that he doesn't want to be there but then like he's like mom we got to get all of out of here like (laughs) if he truly hated and didn't care about the family members he would have just like stayed on the pier and like or like stayed in the bus like right he wouldn't have gone out and like talked to frank he wouldn't have gone and like tried to find not only like try to find olive but like try to find the mom to talk about olive and like Mm -hmm. that is very much of like you know it all sucks but we have each other (laughs) yeah And, and, and that's like one of the other beautiful parts about about frank about steve carell's character is like you know he he's as low as you can probably get right and him and paul dano they find each other the earliest because frank has to uh sleep in in Dwayne's bedroom like they're gonna share a room um and who among us hasn't had to like share a room with our aunt or uncle uh, at one point or give our bed up but that scene on the pier is really beautiful and Paul Dano's just like man this world sucks what's the point and Frank who has obviously been that same spot because he tried to you know take his own life is like okay kid like there is a point you, like take it from me i i forgot that and like it's that kind of like they're yeah. both healing and informing each other and i love that scene on the pier so much because it is you know <laughs> one of the few scenes where paul dano talks yeah and it is like you know easily frank could have just been like you know what dude been there done that like i agree yeah. like Welcome this to is, life. yeah this is how this is why it sucks but in the like arc of his character throughout the movie, even though he did like experience that extraordinarily triggering moment in the mm-hmm. middle, like he does give him the advice of like, no, that's not what you want to do. Like there is, there is stuff that's out there that's worthy. Um, yeah. Which is a beautiful reminder. Yeah. I thought that was really, really sweet. Um, and then the other thing I thought of uh, as well from this movie is just, it shuffles in this commentary about pageant culture. But once you get to the pageant, it's almost, you've seen eighth grade, right? Mm-hmm. That scene in eighth grade where the main character goes to the pool party. It's like this horror story. Exactly of like, it's it's just about. middle schoolers being there, but 
that's kind of how it felt. I was like, oh my gosh, like the kind of icky parts of pageant culture. And it's something that I think now in 2021, we have a lot more exposure to because of like 17 TLC shows. But I don't know about the mid 2000s. It was like, this world exists and it's so weird. There is like such an important scene in that movie in that part where she's like checking herself out in the mirror and Mm -hmm. you like the mood like while you're watching it and like as an adult you're like she's a child like she shouldn't have to worry about these things but like that is the reality of being like eight and a girl Mm -hmm. and in the world and like especially in the early 2000s when there was like so much conversation about weight all of the time on every Mm -hmm. tabloid like I think that that is like also goes to the reality of like her meeting new people for the first time and like that mm-hmm. or seeing how the world sees her for the first time happens yeah. in that scene. And I think that is unfortunately a massively realistic scenario for a girl her age. I mean, there's mm-hmm. the, there's the fact that goes around all the time where it's like upwards of 70% of girls under the age of 10 have already been on a diet before. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just like a thing that exists. And yeah, it's terrible. It's it's absolutely horrific. Um, but I remember like you easily that scene could have been played where it's like, girl, she wouldn't be worrying about that. Mm-hmm. Like she is this big, like confident, bubbly like person. Yeah. But it in the way that she played it and in the way that sort of all the little nuggets are dropped, which are so downplayed because the conversation about weight was always so like matter of fact for so long Mm -hmm. it seems very natural that she would see all these girls for the first time and then go look at herself differently Mm -hmm. and that scene just like really resonates with me every single time i watch it so i'm like oh being eight and girl sucks (laughs) and i'm sure it sucks for for guys as well but i just remember being like yeah i i know that yeah and, and, and to give credit a little bit to the whole like pageants in general like a thing that I like that the movie did was, you know, when she gets to meet Miss California, Miss USA. I think it's Miss California, know. but I can't remember. Maybe Miss California won Miss USA. Either way, when she meets her and she asks her, do you eat ice cream? And she goes, of course, my favorite flavor is whatever it is. And it's like, okay, that's the point. Like, right? Like that's, you know, if there's going to be this Miss America, this idyllic person for young girls to look up to, okay, yeah, they should be someone that encourages you can like things. You can like yeah. ice cream. You can, you know, do this, that, and whatever. And, and you can see the way Abigail Breslin's like face lights up, and it's like this relief, which well, is kind of heartbreaking, mom, but also like, encouraging. Mom, did you hear she eats ice cream? Like that's that yeah. line every time. Oh. Like, it's so good. That scene can be so manipulative if played wrong, and it's not. It's just really earnest and endearing, and it's like you can tell that Olive is just really like stressed. Like, am I allowed to eat ice cream? Um, yeah god that's heartbreaking <laughs> what were some of the things that you looked up right after you finished watching it i looked up the directors uh jonathan dayton and valerie ferris i was like oh what else have they made and they not a lot they're music yeah. directors the only other movies they made is ruby sparks battle of the sexes and living with yourself like four movies in the last you know 15 years or whatever which is kind of crazy i also looked up the writer michael Arndt. he won the oscar for this movie i read a lot of stories where he you know, this movie took him, I think, like a few years to write and it gets made and becomes like the Sundance darling. It's like a high bidding war and everything like that. And so he wins the Oscar for screenplay 
and he got the Disney bag. Among his writing credits, Toy Story 3, Wally, Cars 2, Brave, Inside Out, The Force Awakens, and Incredibles 2. Also, when he won the Oscar, the people who presented it to him, none other than Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, coming Incredible. out to the the Spider-Man theme, which is the most mid-2000s thing could have happened. Um, <laughs> That's very funny. I guess Fox Searchlight really went for it with this movie. Like, they campaigned hard for this movie. So, um, I mean, it worked. <laughs> Yeah, like I guess a lot of people thought it, like it could have and should have been Best Picture or might have been Best Picture just based on the campaign. Everything comes back to The Departed, which won Best Picture this year. Still a movie I like. <laughs> but so Mark Harris, a writer uh, that we both like. He wrote for Grantland. He's worked mm-hmm. one Cam Neely, always Mark's hashtag Mark Harris season. I so wonder wrote... if Cameron is going to get the most shout outs throughout the whole Blind Spotters pod. We got we, we two for two Cam two. so far. We do have two Cam. <laughs> Um, but so so apparently he wrote um this year fox searchlight has done everything but trademark the color yellow in its attempt to drive the little miss sunshine bus all the way to kodak theater one of the season's ripest ironies may be the company's mammoth effort to secure prizes for a movie that makes such acute fun of the american obsession with winning that's so good which is why we love mark harris like that's very that's so on point and then the last thing I looked up was just like the logistics of the Volkswagen bus. Apparently they did a lot of real driving where like they That's would back awesome. a truck up in front of the bus and Greg Kinnear would just have to drive while they film these scenes. And he, he's called it the most dangerous movie he's ever made, <laughs> <laughs> which is insane. That's awesome. That's really funny. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to take like a screenshot of the scene where I'm like, oh, this is driving down the 17 in mm-hmm. Flagstaff. Like, I absolutely know what this is. I love I'll, have it. To, uh, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. But yeah, would you watch this movie again, Zach? I would now. When I first finished it, I'm like, I had such a weird feeling about it. I guess it's because I didn't know a lot about it. And it's like not a satisfying ending, right? Because they all kind of end up just being like, well, life sucks, but we're together. But then the more I've thought about like just the family dynamics and yeah, I would watch it again. Cause, and, and you mentioned it when we were talking about the place beyond the pines, the soundtrack of this movie, I didn't even like pay it any mind because I was so caught up in like cringing and like being like, Oh no. And hoping that they can get to the pageant. Like I get stressed out by the tasks of plots a lot. And so I think in revisiting this movie, I think I'd be able to appreciate it a lot more and just kind of like, allow myself to have it wash over me in a, in a positive way i think that the soundtrack really is one of the most important parts of the movie um mm. it is it's really subtle it's not as obvious as the place beyond the pines but when you hear the song the winner is which i can play a little bit here That just encapsulates the way the movie makes me feel. Mm -hmm. And I can just like listen to that song for like two and a half minutes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And just like kind of get it all. So I think that it does have like a really important soundtrack. And then, of course, um, obviously, uh, Super Freak. (laughs) Every time I hear it, I think of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think The Place Beyond the Pines is more of like a score movie. And then... Mm -hmm. 
Little Miss Sunshine is more of a soundtrack movie, right? Where it's yeah. using these songs really purposefully, whereas Place Beyond the Pines is using like its original score to kind of set the mood. And then Bonnie there's Bear a because, lot of like tone. But yeah, no, I absolutely would um, revisit this movie. I might give it some more space or read about it some more, just so I can like kind of have that extra context. I would really recommend that that bright wall, dark room piece um, to people. Before we finish up, uh, I know we're kind of running a little over, but I did want to ask about the character of Edwin. We didn't really talk about the grandpa. Now that I've rewatched it a couple of times and I kind of know what to expect from all of the other characters, I think his character stands out to me more and more. Um, mm. So maybe like something to, to rewatch for, but that scene when he like tells the father, like, I, I really am proud of you. Yeah. After you just hear them bicker endlessly and he just like, maybe it's because there's like men in my family that just like go on and on and on when you're like, please stop. And they're like, no, 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 some more. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, I know what it's like to be on a road trip with this. Um, oh gosh. Which I, I, it's, I mean, it's just how we are. Uh, we're all like this, but um, <laughs> I think it's like a character that I grow to love more every time I watch the movie. Because um, mm-hmm. obviously there's some like, super cringy nearly yeah. grotesque parts of his character but i don't think nearly gro- it's just grotesque <laughs> yeah and like but he's just he's the lively one mm-hmm. out of like he's the one that loves life the most out of everybody in this man who hates mm-hmm. being alive <laughs> like, yeah I, yeah i think that that radiates and like it's more irritating than olive is who is equally as in love with being alive but is Mm -hmm. also a child and has a much different interest but i think that he is just like yeah i don't know i want to like do drugs and like fuck people and like watch my granddaughter (laughs) like live out her dreams like that's what i want to do all day Uh and everyone's like no he's like why not yeah (laughs) I think it is very funny that he is just like the most outrageous, but also like the only person who wants to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is funny. We we took this long to get to him because Alan Arkin literally won Best Supporting Actor. At yeah, the Oscars it, it for is this. great um, in this movie. Much to the chagrin of Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Alan Arkin like his. It, I, I will pay attention to that going forward in like the next times I watch this movie because I will because there is so many parts of this that you're trying to figure out and, and then you just have you know the crazy grandparent who's just off the cuff and you know doing whatever they want because they're at that stage of their life it's a very fun uh juxtaposition with all of the other characters mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. well I'm so glad you liked it that movie means so much to me um and I'm glad I finally got to watch the place beyond the pines it was really gorgeous i like that we took different swings with these movies like like we said it wasn't these like all-timer type of movies but like all but important movies for us especially like when we were younger yeah which movie out of the two would you say you like most honestly probably hmm, i have to rewatch little miss sunshine to figure it out because i love the first 45 minutes of the place beyond the pines so much it's such a great part of a movie but then it kind of falls apart for me as, as we've talked about so i think i'll revisit little miss sunshine first i don't know when but it'll be first I, I i watch the place beyond the pines probably like every four or five years um as i found out when i looked up when i had tweeted about the movie <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, I think that's where I'm at. What about you? What about you? I mean, obviously, Little Miss Sunshine matters a lot to you. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is a movie I watch like every three to four years. Um, I, but I really don't know. I was thinking a lot about this um, kind of like all day, like which one I would watch again soon because they both feel very much in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very much like movies I would often return to. I might watch um, a play, The Place Beyond the Pines again. I'll probably watch Little Miss Sunshine first because I just watched The Place Beyond the Pines. Mm-hmm. But I think that while it didn't surpass Little Miss Sunshine for me, it definitely like made it into like a column I wasn't expecting it to, to be in. So mm-hmm. that's as close as I'm going to get to saying it. I liked it more. <laughs> one of these days we're gonna get to a point where one of the movies just doesn't land i really was worried how you'd like a place beyond the pine so i'm relieved that you do at least enjoy it enough to engage in a conversation about it in fact uh where i apparently dislike it more than you do <laughs> yeah i think you actually do <laughs> that will all be avoided in the next episode next month you guys can watch two movies by our favorite writers and directors that is the theme um and we both have talked about how much we love, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, and I really love David Fincher. But for the movie I chose for Zach to watch is Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums. And the movie I picked for Amanda is Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig's Francis Ha. I'm so excited for this. Like, I've been... Me too. I know you, you have thoughts on, like, thinking Royal Tenenbaums is, like, the first movie, like, of Wes Anderson's that people should watch. But, like, to get into a Wes Anderson mood, I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox for the first time recently, The Darjeeling Unlimited. I don't know how to say that one, but that one I watched Grand Budapest Hotel for the first time recently. I'm, I'm so excited to watch this movie. Francis Ha has been on my long list for literally years. Um, and every time I swing by it i'm like it's embarrassing i haven't seen it yet and then i just get embarrassed and i just don't watch it i don't know but um (laughs) i'm really excited to finally watch that one as well but in the meantime where can people find you online uh you can find me online at twitter or on twitter at zach pocklib and then letterboxd and amanda where can people find you online You can find me on all socials at Amanda Liberto. And then really quick, uh, anything else on your to watch list? We forgot to end the podcast like this last time, but oh, is God. there anything else on your to watch list? Uh, movie or TV? Yeah. So I've been watching a lot of TV lately. Um, so I haven't even really thought about my to watch list as far as movies. Um, but my like HBO Max app is like screwing up my television. <laughs> I like, don't know what's wrong. But um, I am trying to finish um a beautiful mind i watched like half of it the other day um and then i need to finish it but i've just been on deadline and then the other movie that i am embarrassed to say i've never seen it's very amanda um is atonement so that's on my to watch list oh i haven't seen either of those yeah so i'll let you know how they go (laughs) sounds good (laughs) what are you trying to watch so for some reason i'm on a Mad Men rewatch so i'm on the seventh season of that Uh, i'm watching skins uk for like the 11th time in my life (laughs) but other movies that i I have kind of lined up um i've kind of fallen into just going through like the ginger rogers fred astaire movies excellent very on brand i i didn't know that they existed honestly i'll be honest about that uh but swing time that's kind of the third one that i have lined up and then um I kind of want to watch that Those Who Wish Me Dead movie just because it's a new movie with Angelina Jolie and like 
we hardly get new movies or we haven't gotten new movies in a long time. So I'm just trying to get back into like staying up to date with the releases of the year. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, friend. Uh, this was a great time. Great movies. Yeah. This was a great duo too, I thought. Um, yeah, I think uh, we potted like lightning and we didn't crash like thunder. We just I mean, kind of wait for the reviews to come in. Maybe we did. <laughs> we don't know it yet. You know what? I, if it came down to it, I would push a VW van with you to hop in and go on a road trip to the beach. I don't know. That kind of fell apart the way that the, the van does. But uh, good movies. And I can't wait to talk about some more movies again. <laughs> Guess what? That's all we're going to be doing. <laughs> I thought this was a hockey podcast. I was just going to say, but it's really a soccer go, podcast. Go, Knights, go. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> All right. I, we will see you uh, next time when I forgot how the show ends. Can you end it, please? Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe to us if you have it. And uh, share it with your friends because we appreciate you guys. Bye. Bye.